Or how many of you remember talking to your significant other on the phone? And how was, um, what was the longest conversation you've had? Anybody? Uh, four hours? Ooh, four hours. Wow. Anybody uh, longer than four hours? Five? Six? Trenton's the only one raising his hand. He's, the rest of you? I don't know. Back in the days when Carol and I were uh, dating, this is back when there's... Um, which is weird the other day, my kids were watching TV and this kid picked up, it was like an older show, he picked up a telephone and it had wires. He said, what are the wires for? He's never seen phone with a the, with the cable. I was like, what in the world? I am so old. But when we were, um, when Carol and I were dating, uh, the longest conversation was eight hours straight. With the wire. Believe that. <laughs> well, it wouldn't have lasted, right? If it's a cell phone, it's, oh, it's no phone could last that long. But we're on the phone. And you know how your ears like this and you're like this the whole time? I felt like I'm like laying down. And the funny thing is my grandparents didn't like it. But you could tell that lis- they're listening on the other side. You know how you can hear like click on the other side? <laughs> but in those days, we were, um, and so we were crazy about each other all that time. And, you know, for, we dated for a few years. And we got married. So this October is going to be 17 years of being married. Wow. I can't, hard to believe, you know. Um, but I was just thinking about what is it going to be like 20 years, 30 years from now, when we're married for 37 years, 47 years? What do I want to accomplish with me and Carol? What do, when our kids are moved out and gone into college, it's just us again. And then what? Right? A lot of people go into marriage, into a relationship. We don't really think about what, what's it going to look like 40 years from now. But we all have an assumption that it's going to look, like, look a certain way, right? We want it to be a certain way. Because we, when we get into a relationship, we find, try to find people who are compatible, not just hot looking, but, you know, and, but their character is good and you know, all these things. Because you hope that with that person and you together, you walk together and at the end of your life, 40 years, 45 years, 50 years later, it's going to end up a certain way. But we don't really think about how it's going to end up. And I think a lot of people forget that it's going to end up a certain way, and so they're just kind of thinking about the now. Sadly, I read these uh, statistics, and I was hoping that it would be different, um, but it's not a surprise. And uh, according to Psychology Today, um, the U.S. In the U.S., the first marriage will likely end up in divorce. Fifty percent of them will likely end up in divorce. That is sad. Of every two couple that I know, one of them is going to divorce. And so you would think that you learn from your first lesson, right? And so they go and to get a divorce, and they go and get married again. What do you think the likelihood of them staying together the second? You're thinking, I learned my lesson from that one, so I'm going to be different with this one. The second marriage, do you think it's going to be higher or lower? Yeah, why is that? You would think it's lower, right? The second marriage is 67% likely of getting a divorce. And so you would think, two times now, right? The first time, I made a boo-boo. The second time, I was just, I don't know what I was thinking. Third marriage, you think it would be better. Is it true? Is it higher or lower than 50%? 73%. It doesn't even make sense. But, you know, people get married and they don't really think, oh, I'm just going to be married and then I'll get divorced. Right? No one thinks that. Everybody wants that love. They want the kind of love that will last 40, 50 years. 
And at the end of 40, 50 years, with Carol and I, I do not want to be her roommate. I want to be her husband. I want to be her lover. I want to be her friend. When we got married, our theme was marrying my best friend. And I want that to still be true 50 years from now, that I'm married to my best friend. But how do we get there? We come and read the Bible, and then a lot of times, you know, we open up the Bible and we read about these concepts, principles, and we're thinking that is just not doable. I think it's because we don't fully understand it. So uh, today, I hope that I can clear that up for you, um, bring out these, just one verse, but these simple ideas, these simple words that we use, and um, that we, a lot of times, we just read it and like, ah, you know, that's maybe true for God, but it can't be true for me. It can't be true for my spouse. And so we're going to focus on four simple words. But before I get there, to go into a, uh, a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, and we know them as know that chapter as the love chapter. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church, which is that met in someone's home, or a bunch of churches that meet in different homes in the a city of Corinth. And in that church, we think that today's church is so messed up and jacked up, you know, in those days, wow, really? You know, when you read 1 Corinthians, you're thinking, wow. That happened inside a church, and this is not people who are outside of church. So he wrote to people who are fighting each other, devouring one another. He says, you know, you're just keep bickering, gossiping. There's, you know, people just messing around, sleeping around, somebody sleeping with their own mother-in-law, and homosexuality, and witchcraft happening in the churches, all sorts of stuff. Like, what in the world, right? And so he wrote into this group of people, and he says, look, let me tell you about love. This is what it's like. And then when we read that entire chapter, we're thinking, wow, it's so like way out there. It's not possible for me. It doesn't fit in my life. So let me step back for a second and kind of explain it a little bit. Some of you don't speak Cambodian, and I'm sorry for that, but I, I, this is a, a classic ex- illustration of the problem people have when they um, translate the Bible. How many words can you say uh, in, in English? How many ways can you say eat? One, eat. Okay, what else? Chow. Well, that's a Chinese word, right? <laughs> Stuff your face, right? That's a, an idiom phrase. In Cambodian, did you know that there are eight ways to say eat? So between you and me, so between um, uh, uh, Robert and I, I would say nyam. That means a proper way to say peers, a, a good way to say standard middle way to say eat. Below that, if I were to look down on Robert and he's some poor guy that's, you know, out there, I want to look down, I would say, see, that's a bad word. You don't say, you don't, you rarely use that unless you're, it's a derogatory way of saying that. So you got nyam in the middle, see is the next one, what's below that? Sort of in between that, there's hope. Like in English, hope, that means to just eat, but in a more neutral sense, not as elevated as nyam. Oh, is, am I, is that confusing now? That Remember, there's eight of them. And so after the C, C is what you refer to dogs. Like dogs would eat, you know, scrap. You say C or animal. But sometimes used to, uh, in a derogatory way to say to somebody, a person. Below that, so now there's three of them, right? Nyam, hope, C, jirah. And maybe some of you who's Cambodian speaking, you've probably never heard of it, but that's a very, very derogatory 
way of saying. You say that to your servant and when you're cussing somebody out. That's like, you know, if you speak Cambodian, that's like, wow, Moni just said that, right? If one more below that, drum. That's like eating trash. You rarely hear it because that's not really commonly used. Only when you cuss somebody out, okay? And then now to go up higher. So if, if Robert and I are peers, and now I speak to someone who's older than me, that I have way more respect to an elderly person, you don't say nyam, that's rude. That's for people who are peers. What do we say? Pisa. One, le- one higher. And then now, so if I speak to my mom, I don't say nyam bai, I say pisa bai, right? Now, if I see a monk or a pastor, no, no, not pastor. Forget the pastor part. Just a monk, because you guys are going to all say this to me. I don't want you to. Um, if you see a monk, what would you say? You don't say nyam. Oh, that's rude. That's like two levels below, right? You don't say pisa. That's rude, too, because they're higher than your parents. Chan. One more word, right? You say to a monk, chan. Why am I telling you this? It's because when we open up the Bible, we come to words, and to translate the wor- a word into English is really, really difficult. So for the word love, for example, in English, I love pizza, I love video games, I love my kids, love my wife, I love God, hopefully not in that order, um, <laughs> right? We say love, but it's in context. It doesn't really make love less of love, but it's just within context. But when you translate the word from the Bible, the Bible uses specific words for different kinds of love. So there are four words described in Greek, in the Greek language, there are four words. So the first word is eros. By the way, not because the Bible is against this, but this is not in the Bible. This is erotic, sensual, sexual love. And so when you have that kind of love, eros. We get the word erotic, right, in English. The second word is storge. Storge is parental love. I have storge for my kids. Complete love in, you know, whatever, within that context. And the next love, phileo, which is friendship love. Like I have phileo for Judy. <laughs> right? <laughs> I got back at Thanks. <laughs> and the last one is agape. We'll come together soon. Agape is unconditional love. When the Bible speaks of love, this is the word that the Bible uses. When, G- when Jesus sat with um, Peter, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, I phileo you. And Jesus says, do you love me? Yeah, I phileo you. But you don't get that when you read the text in, in, in um, NIV. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I do. Jesus, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. I phileo you, Jesus says. You know, so he says, but you see the, the, the tension between the two because it's almost incomprehensible for our mind to love in this way. And so when we read, especially 1 Corinthians 13, it comes to this word, ah, doesn't work. So let me pick up a little section and then we'll focus on one verse. The section is from 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It's going to be up on the screen there. 
talks about love. It says, it always protects. It, referring to love, agape love, this one here. That entire chapter, when you see love, it's always this perfect, unconditional love. So it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's it. So in context, Paul says it this way, starting in verse um, 6. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And so that's where he changes direction. From 6 and 7, he says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envying. Love is not boastful, right? And then he splits to love does. It does not keep records of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then in verse 7, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So those are the four words I'd like to focus on today. And the kind of love that we want to have. Now picture a perfect moment with me and Carol, we're all in our walker together at 80-something together, you know, and I'm trying, come on, you can do it. You know, we're going down the ramp together, right? What kind of love would I want for my wife? What kind of love would I expect from her? I want that kind of love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. If we draw a boundary of the kind of love that we want from our, our relationships, those are the four corners, the four walls of the love that we want, right? But is it possible? Is it true? The first wall, or the first part, is love always protects. The word protect, again, in Greek, here it means, we think protect like protect physical protection, right? If some bully comes and beat up my wife, I don't just stand there like, whoa, he's kind of big, right? That's backing up. No, love protects. I'll go and protect. That's our English American way of thinking. But in this term, the word protect means like a roof on a house. Love protects. What does, what are, uh, what's the roof for in our home? What does it protect from? It gives you shelter, yeah, protection, concealment. What else? From rain, keeps you dry, right? From the heat, keeps you cool. What else? It also puts the house together, right? It holds it there together. And so it's that kind of protection that this verse is talking about. Love always protects. Now think about your significant relationship in your life. Is it always true? Always protects? You know, one of the words that I really, really despise, hate in my relationship when we get in a fight is always and never. Ah, that's just, mm. You know, when, we, when Carol and I fight, she goes, you always do. I'm like, no, I don't always anything. What are you talking about? I don't always anything. Or you never, like, oh, I don't never. I've done it once. You just can't remember. You know, you're just mad right now. <laughs> I take that all back because this says love always protects in these four things. And I love how Paul just emphasizes it always protects, not protects. Always protect, trust, hope, perseveres. But the love always protects, always trusts always hopes, and always perseveres. So protection, in a sense, is the roof over your house. What does that mean? And so when you get into an argument or a fight, not just with your significant other like your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, but, you know, in groups, in church, a lot of churches split over this because they don't always protect each other. 
What's the opposite of not protecting when without a roof? You get the full effect of the sun, right? You get the full effect of the rain. You get no concealment. Everything is wide open. Now imagine a relationship like that with no protection. A lot of times in my relationship, the protection that the other person needs is from me. Letting them have it, right? And that's what Paul says, that when you love somebody, you protect them from yourself mostly. From your wrath, from your anger, from you giving them the full effect, full-blown anger, whatever it is that they deserve. And Paul says, love always protects. True love, agape, unconditional, godly kind of love, always, always protects. Honestly, in our relationship, in almost 17 years, the most danger that Carol has ever gotten is from me. Now, I'm not really a violent man, but if the closest to any violence would be from me. If any protection, protection that she needs, it would be from me. Isn't that a sick, sad thing to say about my wife? But that's true in our relationship. Even with our relationship with God, godly people in a church like this, sometimes we want to just give people everything that they, want, they deserve, right? But the Bible says, no, that's not how it works. And Peter expands it on this in a little bit. In 1 Peter 4.8, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. A roof does that, right? It covers. In our relationship, love will cover the sin. You know what that means? When I carry my um, eight-month, almost nine-month baby in my arms, one time he was holding a spatula. You know what babies do in the spatula? Pow! I'm, like, I'm carrying him like this. He has a spatula, and he goes pop right in my eye. What do I say? What do I say? Is it dad? Oh, how cute, right? No, or, or do I say, man, drop you on the ground. You bad baby. Hit me in the thing with the, you know, with the spatula. You should know better. What is, you know, like that. I'm never going to ever hold you again. You're just going to crawl by yourself. That's it. I'm not touching you. You're dangerous, right? But in our relationship, we do that to each other all the time. How come with the baby I don't do that? Because I give him grace. I gave him the roof, the protection from me. He hit me in the face and I was like, oh, how cute. He doesn't know how to control his hand, right? He does, even if he does, I say he doesn't know. How, he's only eight months old, right? He doesn't, I give him all sorts of grace, all sorts of excuses. I give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't do it on purpose. Even if you, you try to convince me, it's not going to work. He's my son. I love him. Does that make sense? But somehow in our different other relationship with our spouse, our friends, our church buddies, our, you know, whatever, circles of people, co-workers, we don't do that. And so instead of protecting, we give them what, we, what they deserve, the full effect. So love is a roof that covers our hearts covers our relationship. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Covers all wrongs. When we think of relationships that are dysfunctional, it's when they don't cover all wrongs. They let each other have it. The full blown of it. We know that to be true, right? But God says, no. If you follow me, the kind of love that I expect from you is to cover all wrongs. Hold back. Give each other some slacks. So here's the question. 
When someone wrongs you, do you cover with love or do you rip them apart? Gossip makes it wide open, right? Without a roof. That's why we're so hard. I'm so hard on gossip. If I hear a gossip, you're going to hear it from me. Because that's one of the things that destroys churches, families, friends, small groups. It doesn't matter what we try hard to build. One little gossip is the poison that's going to rip everything apart. Because gossip takes a roof and opens it wide. Hey, look, world, here it is. Right? In our small groups, we make it a point over and over again that what you say in the group stays in the group. That's the roof that we build. Okay, second one, love always trusts. Love protects like the roof. Love always trusts. In the ESV, it says, believes all things. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love is not suspicious. The opposite of trusting is being suspicious, right? Can you imagine being in a relationship where someone is suspicious of you, everything that you do? Oh, my goodness, you got to watch your back all the time. You don't know. Like, some, you're completely innocent, but just all of a sudden, boom, you got to watch your back because someone is suspicious of everything that you do. And the Bible, God says, the kind of love, the perfect, unconditional, holy love that we have, that God has, is not suspicious. Goes back to the first one, gives them the benefit of the doubt. If I were to not come home for four hours, even though it only takes me two hours to come home, <laughs> four hours later, I'm still not home. If my wife were suspicious, she would think of all the women or whatever that I could be meeting up. I don't know, right? But because my wife loves me, she's probably more concerned. She's protective of me. To say, maybe he got into a car accident. She'll probably call me a hundred times because that's what love does. Instead of calling all the women in my life just to see if she can hear my voice in the background, she would probably call, look up traffic, see if there's an accident, and see if my name is related to that, Googled it or something. I don't know. Right? That's what love does. Love protects and love trusts. And that's the kind of love that we, have, that we want to have at the end of our life. Not just with our spouse, but with our friends. Long-term friendship. Lifelong friends. The word that's used there, it means to um, give the benefit of the doubt, to not be suspicious, and to slow to believe in damaging news. How often do you hear rumors about your friends or somebody? Someone comes and blows your ear on one side, and you're thinking, oh, man, you start to believe that. But true love trusts and not believe it so quickly. The Amplified Version says, ready to believe the best. Trust. You know, and one of the things that, yeah, if, you were to, if I were to ask you what's the most important part of a relationship, you would say trust, right? But what does that really mean? What does it mean to trust? It, does it mean to trust that they will do the right thing? Trust that they won't cheat? Trust that they won't go somewhere else? Trust that they will make the good decisions? In a relationship, when that is broken, it's messed up. A wife who doesn't trust her husband to take care of the money or the, the vice versa, a wife or a husband who doesn't trust his wife to, you know, buy a certain amount of things and she goes and buy way too much. We all experience these normal day-to-day -day things, but trust will come into play. One of the things as a husband that I crave and long to hear from my wife is that I trust you. It's more important to me than I love you because love, I don't even know what that is. Just trust me. It elevates me to a certain level all of a sudden, right? 
And that's what trust does. It elevates each other. We elevate each other when we trust. Love is always ready to believe the best. When someone says, I trust you, it's the same thing as saying, I love you, because that is true. Learning to trust each other. If protecting is like the roof, trusting is like the walls that holds up the house. If love is like a home, the walls are trusts that holds up our home. And protecting is the roof that holds up our house. So here's some questions. Do you trust, do you tend to trust your significant others or people in your life, or you tend to be more critical or suspicious? Sometimes not even suspicion. It's criticism, cynicism, and just being critical of their motive. Oh, she's trying to make me do this. She's manipulating me, right? That's, that's not trusting. Who wants to live with that kind of a person? Who wants to have that kind of relationship? And that's the kind of relationship we want to build. Just with us here. In God's family. So do you give the benefit of the doubt? Or do you, do you always question people's motives? That's a key, to way, a key way to know if you're trusting people. The third one is hopes. The word for hope here means to expect the best, to be optimistic, to be forward and upward looking, looking and not stuck in the past. Love doesn't tell it like it is. Love tells it like it could be. It's so true with our kids, isn't it? We have hope for our kids. We're ready to believe the best. I wouldn't raise my kids the way I do if, I don't ready, if I'm not ready to believe the best in them. But what about the adults in our lives? We need to be ready to believe the best in them too. Even those who are messed up, who are jacked up, who are far away and doing all sorts of goofy, dumb things right now, believing the best means that you know that it's just a phase they're going through. They're going to get over it. They're going to grow out of it. God has that in us. Did you know that? If God doesn't have hope that you and I will ever get better, that we're just going to head down a spiral hill, I believe God's just going to kill you. If God doesn't have hope that you're going to ever get better, you and I, and everyone else in our lives, they're still alive because God has hope in them. That one day, they, they will come into a relationship with him. One day, they're going to know him. And one day, they're going to get better. It's the same, especially in our spouse. Imagine being married to somebody who lost hope in you. Or you lost hope in them. What's the point in that relationship? Love forgets the past, forgives the present, and looks forward to the future. It sees the brighter side of things. If, our, if love was to be a home, the roof would be protecting, the trust would be the walls, hope would be the windows to look outside, to see the brighter days ahead, right? The last one, perseveres. It means to endure, to bear bravely, calmly, to remain, to endure, um, to stand against opposition, to hold out, and to stand fast. Love doesn't know when to quit. It doesn't end. The song we just sang, love never fails. The next verse in verse 8, love never fails. That means love doesn't end. Everything else will end, love doesn't. When there's a conflict in your life, do you tend to give up or do you tend to work through it? Many people don't realize that, you know, the conflicts are a part of life. I was just speaking with somebody a couple of weeks ago. You know, they're separated and whatever. And um, I asked him, what's going on? And he said, I don't know. We, We just fight a lot. And I said, yeah, and who doesn't? 
Like every relationship we fight, because we're, I'm sinful, she's sinful, we put two sinful people, what do you get? Sinful squared, sinful squared, right? So now you got two people who are sinful coming together, coming at each other. That's just normal. But God tells us to move beyond that and stick through that. Don't give up. You know, in us, God wants to build an oak tree, not a mushroom. A mushroom comes up quickly and it dies. An oak tree takes 60 years to grow up to maturity. But it can weather any, anything that happens, right? And God is trying to build an oak tree in all of us. And conflicts is what makes relationships strong. We've never, you never, maybe you haven't, haven't thought about this, but conflicts is what makes it strong. So let me draw that picture again. If love was to be a home, this is to protect. The walls, there's trust. Here goes my artwork. The windows, hope. Perseveres would be the foundation to keep it all together. And that's what we try to build, not just a house, but a home. In the groups, in the people that we know, the friends that we have, the significant relationship, our spouse, our kids, our friends, we want to build a nice, sturdy, strong home. And that's the elements to build the home, is love. And persevering stays this way, keeps it all together. All right, finish it up with the diagram. In talking about conflicts, I said something real quick in the past, but you've seen this. I love this picture because I've seen it again and again in my life, and it's so very true. This is a canyon. And so when you come into a group of people like this, you meet people standing right here, and they're happy together, hunky dunky on one side. There's a guy who did a study in this. And that's why I think it's, it's so neat to see it practiced in, in real life. The two people in a relationship, let's say me and Judy, because he's in the front. We're picking on each other here. So we could be in a, a, a relationship where you meet us for a little while, you think, wow, they're cool, they're good friends and everything. But you don't know how close we are. For a group of people, especially a church group or any social group, when you come together, the first thing you'll see is them being together and they look really happy. But after a long time, you'll see that there's really not much in between them. Pseudo, a.k.a. fake, facade community. These two people are together, and they're together physically, but they're really faking it. Can you imagine a marriage like this? Fifty years into the marriage, and you're still faking. That's sick. That's wrong. Fifty years into the relationship, and you're still facading with each other. Right? I'm still trying to put my best foot forward. And so in order to move from here to here, actually, that's not the only book. There are other uh, studies that at some point, this guy is going to say, I think I want our relationship to go deeper. We don't really, you know, we say, oh, deep relationship. What does that mean? Deep means you go deep together. So this is a canyon. Oh, Sorry. And uh, he calls it chaos. So in this chaos, 
They go through it together, and then they will come back on this side. I can either go through the canyon with my wife. The canyon is like, why do you always leave your socks out? Why don't you put it away? Well, why don't you put it away? Uh-oh, right? There goes trouble. Now, am I going to jump into that canyon? That's a silly one. But what if it's a real one? Honey, I have something to tell you. You better sit down. There's been those in my marriage. How would you like to hear that? I sat in a car and I said to Carol, honey, I have something to tell you. You could feel like the whole thing freezes. I'm taking her into the canyon. She could say, ah, I don't want to hear about it right now. Let's just go shopping. Right? We've never gone through here and we stay facade fake. She says, what is it? She held it and I told her. She says, and I have something to tell you too. I was like, what in the world, right? And she, we went through it together. We came out on this side. And you know, that's one of the most pivotal uh, moments in our marriage. Because we went through the canyon together. In your group, those of you who are part of the branch, expect this. Because without this, you'll never get to this. When you sit in someone's going to say, you know, I've been struggling with this this past week. You pause the group. You talk together. In a church sense like this. We have to go through this to get to here. That's how an oak tree is built, deep. Mushrooms are on surface level, right? So that's one, one drawing. The second drawing. So when we think about this whole agape, perfect love, unconditional, godly love, and all that stuff, we think, ah, oh, that's not possible. As a husband, my job, and this is my wife, and this is God, the only way that she and I could ever be close, the way that God intends with the agape love, is if we both move up the triangle. And so when she's here and I'm over here, what happened to the triangle? It gets farther, right? Imagine a spouse who's all the way off the chart over here, and you're trying to close, get closer to God, and you're over here, there's me, and my wife is way down here. What do you think happened to the relationship? And this is so very true of a wife who tries to go back to church and get right with God, but the husband has no interest in doing that. And I've met people like that. The distance is going to be huge, and there's going to be problems in the marriage. And that's normal because of this. The only way, as a husband, the Bible says one of our responsibility is to help our wife get closer to God while we get closer to God, eventually become one with God, and that's when we achieve oneness with each other. Complete unity is unity with God. And the closer you move towards God, the Bible says God is love. That just blows me away. I could probably, I can't even, my mind can't even comprehend that because God does not have love. God is love. He is love, the essence of Anything loving, anything lovable is God. The closer I move towards God, the more loving I become. Does that make sense? I cannot try to be loving on my own. So when I think always protects, is that even true? Is that even possible with me? No, it's not. But with God, all things are possible. Luke one thirty seven. The Bible says, Jesus said, God himself said, with God, all things are possible. 
two things happening here. God wants us to move towards him and depending on him to move us towards him. It's the only way we get there. Everybody clear? I know I've probably confused some of you a little bit. Last one. Told you I'd wow you with, with my uh, artwork. Last one. Here's, this is where it, the rubber meets the road. So we think about love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. It's so easy with kids. When I think about my four-year-old Maddox, I protect him. I protect him from me. I protect him from any harm. I always trust him to do what is good and right because I, I don't think he knows any better, right? And I always have hope that he'll, get, he'll be an awesome guy. He's going to change the world one day. All my three kids are going to change the world, their world. And I always persevere. No matter what, I'm not going to give up on them. They're my kids. But God calls us to love each other in that way and even stronger. But you know why it's so easy to love kids? I thought about this since the beginning of the month. Why, when does it change? Does it ever change? I hope it doesn't. Like when my kids are like 30, that changed all of a sudden. You know, I don't protect you. I don't trust you. I don't hope, have hope for you. Just forget it. You know, you, you've gotten in trouble. You're a teenager. For, oh, you know, for it, you know, it's over. Does it become that way? Or am I always going to love them in that way? God calls us to love each other in that way. But you know why it's so easy to love kids, especially young ones? Like Micaiah, who's eight months old. He can hit me, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because of this. This is the present. I drew it in such a thin line because really the present is now. Oh, past it already. Now. Oh, past it already. Right? That's all it is about the present. But the future, future is huge. The past is almost clear. This is the most important. If you didn't get anything else, think about this. This is why we don't think it's possible to love someone unconditionally. But let's take that word and, and, and untangle it real quick. What does unconditional mean? What does condition mean? That means this is my love for you. This red right here. I love you as much as you fulfilled your condition. As much as you love me. As much as you cook for me. As much as you do things for me. As much as whatever, right? If you meet all those criteria, then I'll love you. That's a condition. Who wants that kind of relationship? But we do that to each other all the time. I'm kind of catching myself doing that with my kids. Kind of sick and sad, but that's, you know, we do that a lot. Especially with our spouse, with our significant people, people in our lives. A condition has to be met before I love you. Now, even worse, always means that in the future, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Well, you and me are right here, right now. Do I always protect? Which means I always forgive the things that you do. Cover up your sins. Always. No, because you remember two years ago, you did that to me. Bam! And not only that, last month, you did the same thing again. Not only that, last week, you did the exact same thing. How am I supposed to always protect you? Because you've always done this. Right? But is that true? I can't forgive you. I can't love you unconditionally because of your past. That's why we love kids to death without, because they don't have a past. Right? My kid's path is probably like, like that. 
I can't even look back that far for them. But as husband and wives, as friends, as in a close relationship, we have a path. And the Bible says, love always protects, which means cancel it. Don't get historical. When you fight, don't get historical because the path is past. We get historical because we play God. We think that, oh, because that is true, this is also going to be true. Can you guarantee this? No, you cannot. God can change that. God can make it all completely different. But we play God. We think, I'm God. I I know you. I've seen your history. We've been together five years. You've always done that way. You're always going to do that. That's some one jacked up relationship. I wouldn't want to be a part of that, but we do that to each other. Always protects, always trusts. I don't trust you because of your history, right? That's the biggest thing. You let me down, you've done this to me, I don't trust you anymore. Is that wrong to even see it a picture like this? When we've, I've never seen a picture broken down like this. To even say to my wife, I don't trust you because of what you did two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. I don't trust you anymore because, you know, that one time, even sometimes one single little tiny event causes us not to go forward because we keep going back. Does that make sense? But God's love is unconditional, which means this does not exist. The Bible says that when you come, God starts you from scratch. In Isaiah, the Bible says that your sin, that means your messed up, jacked upness is as red as scarlet but he will cover you up with snow. The snow, what does it do? It covers it up. It doesn't matter. He goes forward. And that's the kind of love that God wants to have for us. And that's the kind of love that God wants us to have for each other. 